So go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to talk to you about knowing God this morning. I'm going to start in verse 21. I want you to just listen to these words as I read them. Verse 21. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began. Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each one by its name. Because of his, of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Verse 29, he gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. Then the young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. And not faint. That is God. That is the God we serve. That is the God we joined here today to celebrate and to praise. He is God. And no one else can ever be God. He is almighty, all powerful, all lifted up, none greater than him, God. And he knows the numbers on your head. The numbers of hair on your head. I ain't saying nothing. I'm going to leave that one alone. I just made it easy for him. But that's the God we serve. And so today I want to challenge you with knowing God. I believe there's a lot of confusion today in the world. I believe there's a lot of people who think about God and they think things of God. And and I I think there's a lot of people that think things are God and they're really not God. If you watch TV, if you listen to some of the latest music, you'll hear some good things that sound like God and they'll, they'll sound or look good. But let me tell you something and let me warn you, they're not God. The world today is watering down who God is. And as the church, if we're not careful, we'll fall into that and we'll start seeing God not quite as high as he really is. We'll start seeing God a little lower than he used to be. We'll start thinking that maybe his power isn't as good as it used to be. If we're not careful. So this morning I want to go into the book of John. And and I want to show you that even the guys closest to Jesus didn't quite get it. Go with me to John chapter 8. Now back in my day when I was coming up being discipled. I I was saved at 12 right there at the ABC camp. Gave my life to Jesus. I was uh, baptized not shortly afterwards and, and grew up in the church. I was at church three times on Sunday. I mean, I didn't need any more church. I just needed a real relationship with Jesus. But I came up and then I rebelled and I drifted away. And you call me, I was a backslider back in those days. Oh, he's a backslider. Anybody been called a backslider before? 
Yeah, I was a backslider, and I, I backslid, and I fell away from God as far as I could. I ran from him and all those things, and I, I went to college and slid a little bit further, and, and then I failed out of college, and I moved home, and I, I started getting discipled by this guy. And back in the day, we used to do this thing. We used to memorize scripture. It's a novel idea. We used to memorize scripture. I would, I, my goal was to memorize two verses a day. But the first portion of scripture that we were all challenged to memorize was scriptures about salvation. And so what, what we called it, we called it assurance of salvation. And it basically means that you're, you, you're going to memorize these verses that tell you clearly how to be saved so that you can get them deep down inside of you so that when the enemy comes and when things come at you and life gets hard, you'll remember or you'll be sure that you're saved. Anybody ever wonder if you're still saved? You ever get in a moment and go, Lord, am I even saved? I mean, after you just blew it. Assurance of salvation. And then the sad thing is, is that nobody talks about assurance of salvation anymore. But as believers, we need to be sure that we're saved. We need to be sure that we're in a right relationship with God. We need to be sure that when our number gets pulled and we're at the end of our life, that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. You need to be sure. The Bible says that you can be sure and you need to fight for that. And so this morning, as we read from John, we're going to see first, I want to show you kind of what the religious folks did with Jesus. And then later on, I'm going to show you what his even his closest disciples did and how they they were missing the mark. So John chapter eight, verse 19. Let me set this up for you. Jesus in chapter eight steps in front of this woman who's been caught in adultery. The Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery. So the religious folks dragged her out into the middle of the city, the courtyard or whatever you want to call it. And they all had stones and they were getting ready to stone her to death because that was what the law said. Okay. Jesus walks up, stands in between her and the people that are getting ready to persecute her. And he says to, he says to them, he says, that's fine. If you want to stone her, whoever has never sinned, you throw the first stone. And the Bible says that he bent down and he wrote something in the dirt. And then he stood up and he said something else. And he bent down again and he wrote something else in the dirt. Theologians believe he was writing their sin in the dirt. And when they saw it, they got so convicted, they dropped their stones and walked away. And watch what Jesus says to this adulterer, this prostitute. Watch what he says to her. Backing up to to verse 10, he says this. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Watch this. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. She was at death's door and Jesus stepped in her place and said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So they, the religious folks saw this. So they, they kind of got schooled in the moment. They kind of got, you know, Jesus won that one. If he, if he was fighting with the Pharisees and the religious folks, Jesus really hit a home run right there because he kind of shamed them, schooled them a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So they were a little angry. So coming into this next portion, the, the, the religious folks, probably a little stirred up, Jesus starts out in the very next verse. He says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What a bold statement. Jesus is telling them that I am the light of the world. 
And so the, he really makes the Pharisees mad, and they start to argue with him, and Jesus makes claims, and they say things, and all this, and they start to get this heated debate. And Jesus, in the middle of all this, Jesus brings up God, his Father. He brings up the word Father, and he talks about his Father, and he basically says that the Father has validated me to be who I am. The reason I can say that I am the light of the world is because me and the Father agree that I am the light of the world. And so watch this in verse 19. They said to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus was getting at them in a a direction that they couldn't even see. Jesus was coming from the perspective of relationship. They were coming from the perspective of religion. You see, the Pharisees, the religious folks in those days, they were saved. They were right with God because of what they did or didn't do. There was actually 600 and something laws that they had to obey. And many religious folks are in the churches today. And they think that just because I live right and I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I do that, that I'm okay with God. And Jesus was basically saying to the religious folks, you're lost sheep. You're blind. You're deceived. Me and the Father. What was Jesus using? He was using relationship terms. Relationship type of terminology. He was telling the religious folks, it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. Jesus said that I am who I am because of the Father. Religion says that you have to do this and do that to get right with God. Jesus says that in relationship, because you surrender your life to me and you make me the Lord of your life, you are made right with God. It's not by what you do. It's by who you submit to. Are you getting this? It's a relationship. It's not rules and regulations. We do and we obey the rules and regulations because we're in the relationship. And the relationship has changed me. I'm not who I used to be because I'm in relationship with God Almighty. The Bible actually says that before I surrender my life to Christ, I'm an enemy of God. But as soon as I surrender and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I come into this right standing with God where I'm made right. And the Bible says that I'm a friend of God. I get to be a friend of God. I can't earn that. I'm not good looking enough for that. Can you believe that? (laughs) I can't do anything to get that. That is an undeserved privilege that I've been given by God himself. That he would look down on me like a grasshopper, Isaiah says. And he would want to bring me into a relationship with him. And put me in right standing. And I go from being an enemy to becoming a friend of God. What a privilege. What an undeserved privilege. But the religious folks, they couldn't get that. They couldn't see that. They couldn't wrap their minds around that because they were caught up in the do's and don'ts. They were caught up in the, I got to be this and I got to be that to be right with God. And that's not true. It's just not true. Jesus called us into a life of relationship, not a life of religion. He wants to relate to us. I don't know if you can wrap your minds around that this morning, but Jesus wants to spend time with you. 
He wants to spend time with you daily. Not just an hour a day at the church. Come on, somebody. He wants to spend time with you daily. When you're riding your four-wheeler, when you're working out at the gym, when you're kicking the cow because you're mad at somebody, whatever you're doing, you're buying that dress or them shoes, he wants to spend time with you. He might even tell you not to buy those shoes because they're ugly. Who knows? He's wiser than you are. Everybody's looking at their feet. I wonder if he said that about my shoes. (laughs) It's about relationship. These folks were deceived. You see, you got to understand that Jesus didn't die on a cross and raised from the grave to make bad people good. Jesus died on a cross and was raised from the grave to bring those that were spiritually dead to life. To life. And because he rose from the grave and he is life, we can now have life when we get into a relationship with him. Amen? So that's, that's kind of where the, the religious folks were. They couldn't wrap their mind around Jesus. They couldn't. But you know what I think? I think I think they were when they went home and they were by themselves. After getting into a confrontation with Jesus, you got to go home different, right? You got to go home changed a little bit. I guarantee you they went home and they were kind of like, man. What's up with this dude, man? I don't understand. I'm 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 killing myself every day to be good. And I can't measure up. I'm empty inside. I'm broken. I'm lost. I feel like I'm in a desert. I can't get no satisfaction. I was just about to sing that song. (laughs) Some of you started singing it because you looked at me like I was about to sing it. I saw you. I can't get no. (laughs) Can't get no satisfaction. So let me give you a little bit of hope here. Skip over with me to 1 John chapter 5. I want to give you this verse. This is one of my life verses, one of my favorites. When I got this verse, when I actually understood what this verse said, it changed the way I saw God and it changed the way I saw Jesus. Watch this. 1 John chapter 5 verse 20. You, you might ought to remember this verse. It says this. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding. So that we can know the true God. Stop right there. Jesus came and he gives us the ability to know God. That's what the Bible, that's what that first portion says. He gives us understanding so that we can know God. Now I did a little bit of research. That word know God doesn't mean a head knowledge. That word know God means an experience knowledge. The, the kind of knowledge that only comes when you rub elbows with somebody. You see, some of you, I know you better because I sweated with you. We, we tore out sheetrock together. We tore out some old nasty insulation. We drug it across some wet floors and threw it at the road. I know you when you're tired. I know you better. Why? Because I have experience with you. We rubbed elbows together. We got down into the mess of people's lives and we spent time together. And because of that, we have this experience. And now I know you not from head knowledge, but from experience. You see the difference? You can read the Bible till you're blue in the face. And it's going to change you. Don't deny that. It will change you. But you may not know God the way you can know God if you have experiences with him. Right? So Jesus gives us that right to know God. So that means that I have the privilege. I have the God-given right to know him. 
If I don't know him, it's my own fault. It's not anybody else's. Watch the second half. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. Isn't that good stuff? So that was the religious folks. And then the last portion was hope for us. Because when I read that and I got a revelation of that one day in my quiet time, it changed me. I went from knowing God strictly from here to knowing God here. We had some experiences together. When you're a children's pastor and you're broke and the church don't have no funds for you and you want to buy them some blow pops because they like blow pops and you're the coolest pastor in the world when you bring blow pops. When you're that guy and you're praying on the way to work in that morning, you're saying, God, I'm broke, God. I want to buy them kids some blow pops. You know they like them blow pops. I didn't think he heard me, but I prayed it anyway. I just took a shot. I pulled up at work. I got out of my car. My boss said, come follow me. We're walking down the road, and I stepped on a $10 bill. Stepped on it, and I went, hey, that's some blow pop money. That was an experience with God that he can do something from nothing. You see it? I said, are you seeing it? He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to know how he works. Let's talk. Let's look at the followers real quick. Chapter 14, John chapter 14, starting in verse one. John 14, one, Jesus is with his disciples. By this point in scripture, I believe from my own calculations, which could be inaccurate, I believe that, that they were at least three, year, three years into Jesus' ministry. So these guys had spent about three years with Jesus. We're getting, right, we're getting right to the end of the book of John. There's only a few more chapters at the end where Jesus goes to the cross. So, so these guys, think about this. They've been with Jesus for about three years. Now watch this. He's speaking to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in all, also in me. There was more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so you will, be, so you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> and then Thomas speaks up and goes, no, we don't. We're like, Jesus is giving his spill, you know. And Thomas goes, uh-uh. We don't know where you're going. He'd been with him for three years. Remember that. He says this, we, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Watch Jesus' response. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus makes another bold statement even to his disciples who should already know this. You see, there's people in church that think they're saved. There's people in church that think they know God, but they're deceived and they really don't know God. And what we end up doing and when we're deceived and we realize we're deceived, we got two choices. We'll either expose our deception and become or, or get closer to God and draw closer to him or we'll fake it. Come on. Church people are good at faking it, right? 
They can fake it. They'll come into church, hallelujah, praise the Lord, all this other stuff. And they'll act all religious and dress all nice and get all hokey pokey up in the church. And they don't know God. You want to know how somebody knows God? You watch them when they're going through the pits of life. One of the things I love about Jared and Diane is, is their house flooded. They had about two and a half feet or so of water. They had one, about a foot, of, foot and a half of water in their house. And I called them up and I was kind of freaking out for them. I was like, hey, man, are y'all okay? And their statement of faith was, oh, this is fine. It's all going to work out. I was like, dang. That's, that's the difference in the response because their trust was in God. They'd been there before with him and they had experience with him before in that situation. Are you seeing that? So Jesus tells Thomas, watch this in the second, in verse seven, he says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. He's talking to the Thomas, the disciple, the guy that left everything to follow Jesus for three years. He's talking to him. He says, he's saying to one of his own guys, if you had really known me. So would it be safe to say that some of us can think we know God, but really don't know God? Is it safe to say that some of us can be deceived? And I'm not trying to beat you up and condemn you with that, but I want you to come out of that deception and come into the light and get close to God and get a little victory in your life and get a little life inside of you. If you'd really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus made that last statement right there because he realized that Thomas just got revelation. Jesus spoke the truth over him. He didn't beat him across the head. He just said, dude, if you'd have really known me, you would know the father. And for Thomas, it was like the bulb went on. Oh, you and the father are one. I've been walking with the father. I didn't even know it. I was in the presence of God and was unaware. Are you seeing this? Wow, I like missed the boat. Oh, my gosh. Verse 8. It wasn't good enough that Thomas said something. Philip had to say something. So after Jesus gives that whole spill to Thomas, Philip's... And I'm like, dude, I would have shut up. I wouldn't have said nothing. I, that's when I would have faked it. I would have just straight up faked it. Already. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. (laughs) Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? He's standing right in front of you. He's standing right in front of you. These are his disciples. These were the guys that he was building up to to turn the church over to. They were going to be the first church of the planet. Get this. The first church of the planet. These guys had some serious weight to carry. And Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. I mean, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And they ain't got it. Let me tell you the revelation I got last night. I was sitting there going, man, these guys are dumb. They some idiots. How you didn't know that? God, you walking with the man. I'm having these thoughts in my head. And then I realized something. Thank God he told them now. 
And he didn't tell them on judgment day. Thank God he said while he was standing right in front of them, if you knew me, you would know the father. Thank God he said it now and not on judgment day because judgment day is too late. Are you seeing this? God, tell me now if I'm deceived. Tell me now if I'm not close to you. Tell me now. I don't want to hear it that day. I don't want to hear it that day. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant that day. Right? Lord, have mercy. I was like, God, you, you gave them grace. You gave them mercy. You could have brought the hammer down. I said, you bunch of idiots. Don't you know anything? But he didn't. He gave them the revelation when he realized they didn't have it. Man, that's love. God didn't withhold from them. Jesus didn't hold back. He gave it to them now so that when they got on judgment day, they knew. They already knew. I want God to tell me now. I want to change that now. I want to know God now. Are you hearing me? I don't want to know him for that brief moment on judgment day. I want to know him now. Even his own followers. I wonder how many here today are hearing that same question right now. If you really knew me, do you really know me? Are you hearing that? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit whisper that to you this morning? So glad I know it now. I want to share a story with you, and then I'm going to read another scripture. But I had probably one of the greatest, craziest weeks in my life in ministry this past week. It was Thursday. My wife and I went and got adjusted. Chiropractor adjustment. I was like, I need to clear that up. (laughs) And so we came from there feeling great. We came by the church, and I needed to run to Walmart, and she was leaving, and she walks out before me. Parking lot's empty. It's Thursday. I don't know, maybe right around lunchtime or something. And uh, she walks out of church, gets in her car. I walk out of the church and hear some screaming, cussing, hollering, and screaming. Some woman was just going crazy. And, I was, and it gets my attention, so I'm looking through the bushes back there, and I'm going, man, what the heck's going on? And I could see somebody was trying to help somebody else get in the house, but somebody was screaming. And right away, the Holy Spirit just jumped on me. He's like, go help him. (laughs) Can I just be honest with you? I said, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I ain't getting in the middle of that. You crazy. (laughs) I learned a long time ago when I used to bounce at bars, you don't ever break up two women fighting because you're going to be the one beat up. And there was a mad woman over there, and I want nothing to do with it. Are you hearing me? So I was like, no, God, I'm, you, you can you speak to that thing. You heal that thing. I ain't going, mm-mm. And I get in my truck, and I back up, and the Holy Spirit's just nailing me. Go, go, go. And I get to the end of the drive, and I'm like, all right, let's go. So I turn right, I pull up, and this woman's just going ballistic. I mean, like ballistic. She's hitting this lady with her cane, trying to get her in the house. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I getting into? So I just, I didn't even say nothing. I just walked up and I grabbed the lady. I said, come on, mama, one step at a time, one step at a time. I just grabbed her and there's another guy on the other side. And we got her to take one step on her own. This lady screaming, cussing and hollering behind her. I'm like, oh. And then we had to pick her leg up, get her on another step. Got her up to the top of the steps. And this lady's just still going off. And I turned around and said, hey, 
Good thing the Holy Spirit was with me. Because I was like, hey, you're going to be old one day. And you're going to need some help up the stairs. A little patience. We get the lady in the house. We had to sit her on the floor. We eventually dragged her onto a blanket. We picked the blanket up, set her in the sofa. And then I was done. So I'm in this house I've never been in. Just drug this lady onto the sofa. And I turned around and said, all right, man, y'all good? I'm go- I need to go back to chiropractor. <laughs> I said, I'll, I'll see y'all later. I walk out of the trailer house, and I, I see a lady off to my right. And she goes, hey, pastor. And I turned, and I saw a lady that had visited us for the first time last Sunday. It's her first time in our church. And we, my wife prayed for her. I think Jennifer talked to her after church and, and all this. And I called her during the week. And, and I said, hey, how you doing? She said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to check on my mama. That's my oldest sister y'all brought in the house, but my mama's right there. I just want to make sure my mama's okay. And this was, this was her house. And, and I said, it's going to be okay. We got her in. She's sitting down on the sofa. She's going to be fine. Just relax. I said, I'll call and check on you later. Okay, okay. So I leave, go to Walmart. I come back. I pull up in the driveway, and there's two cop cars there. And I go, oh, man, what happened? And then two fire department cars show up. Lights, sirens, screaming. I'm like, oh, God, what happened? People walking out of the house, rubbing their heads. They're just going. I said, no. I parked my truck and I took off walking. By the time the, the, the fire truck shows up and then people start just flooding in. And I walk up and I see the guy that helped me get the lady in the house. I said, dude, what happened? He goes, she died. And in that moment, I went, what you got me into? What are you doing? Why am I here? In the middle of all this, why am I here? And so I walked up and I saw the lady who visited our church and I grabbed her. She was distraught, prayed for her. She calmed down a little bit. She went inside and they had to move her mama to the back room. Her mama sat there and watched the whole thing happen. Basically, when I left, the lady passed away. Quit breathing and passed away, and they put her on the floor, and they started working on her. They called 911. They all came. They worked on her for an hour nonstop. This, this young police officer went the whole time. And I was standing outside, and I was just like, man, God, why am I here? What is this all about? And I mean, I got faith. I know I at least got mustard seed faith. I was like, man, and this other lady walks up, and this little girl's right there, and I just grabbed and said, come on, y'all, we're going to pray. And we're standing in the middle of the, the, the street, and I just, we just started praying life over that woman. Her name's Josephine. I said, Lord, bring Josephine to life, Lord. Bring her back, Father. I mean, I was praying. I was swinging for the fences because I learned a long time ago, when you pray for somebody that's dying, you don't go in there modestly. You go in there swinging for the fences. And I prayed my guts out for that woman. And I know I had mustard seed faith. And there was another woman standing there with me that had the same amount of faith. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And the longer the time went on, I was like, oh, shoot, God, you're about to do a miracle. Oh, how am I going to explain this? All these things are running through my head. And then the lady said, she said, would you come in and pray for my mama? She's just real upset in the bedroom. So I had to walk in and go past all this. And I walk in and I see the fire chief. And he goes, she ain't going to make it. I said, bro, you never know. You never know what God can do. And by this time, it had been about 50 minutes. And I bent over and I grabbed that woman on the foot and I prayed life over her one more time. And I got up from there and I went to the bedroom where her mama was. 
And I knelt down on the side of her mama, and I cried with her, and I prayed with her. And in the middle of praying with her mama, they walked in, and they said, she didn't make it. And I just stood there in the middle of all that chaos. And it was just like, God, what do you have me here for? What is up with this? What are you doing? And I learned a lot of things from that moment, and I'm still learning some. But one of the things I learned was that God holds the power of life and death in his hands. I learned also that we all have a day. We all have a day when we're going to breathe our last breath. We don't know when that day is. We don't know when it's coming. It could be today. It could be 20 years from now. Who knows? But we all have a day. And it doesn't matter how hard people pray for you. When God says that your time is up, baby, your time is up. And I walked away from there, and I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know what to do. I was kind of numb. I was kind of like, God, what the heck, man? Why did you show me that today? And the thing I realized is that he showed me how serious life is. He showed me how short we live on this planet and how in an instant something can change. In an instant, something can change. We got to be ready. We need some assurance of salvation, people. You need to know who you belong to. You need to know who your Lord is. You need to know where you're going when you die. When you breathe your last breath, you need to be confident that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Are you hearing me? You don't need to be wondering. You don't need to be sick laying in the hospital going, man, am I even saved? I don't want to be that way. I want to know. I want to know the one true God. And I want to live life while I'm alive. Amen? Let me read this to you from John. We're going to continue in verse, chapter 14, verse 18 to 21. Daniel, your team can come up. It says this, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I want you to hear these words. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. These are promises that Jesus is saying that I'm going to be in you and you're going to be in me and we're going to have this great relationship and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to reveal myself to you. Are you hearing this? Me and the father are going to be with you through all of life's things, through all the ups and downs, through all the disappointments. I'm going to be with you. You're not going to be by yourself. And then on that great day when you take your last breath, because it's going to be a great day. When you take your last breath and you leave this planet and you get into heaven, it's going to be a glorious day. Because you're going to put a face to the voice that you've been hearing. You're going to put some some images to what you've been walking with. Come on, somebody. You're going to see what you've been feeling. You're going to understand more clearly how you're made. You're going to see God. Come on, you're going to see God. You get to see God one day. And man, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to spend my time anywhere else. 
I want to know that I know that I know that I know that me and Jesus are right. We're in this relationship. I'm going to fall. I'm going to stumble. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make stupid decisions, but he's going to pick me up. He's going to cleanse me and forgive me. And we're going to keep on going. Amen. We're going to keep going. He is life. And because he lives in us, we are life. 